much horror business driving late at night. Psycho 78, 12 o'clock, don't be late, I said all this horror business. Greetings and salutations, my name is Justin Lore. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to episode 67 of Horror Business. Horror Business. Now, tonight is a very special episode. We are recording on a very cold and rainy night. Yeah. And it's very special because we're going to be talking about two movies involving Ian McKellen and National Socialism. <laughs> Not only that, but we are joined by our good friend, Ryan Sawyer! Yay! Yay! Ryan's on the show! Oh, heads up, you're going to be hearing the phrase, in the books, a lot, because Ryan and I are huge F. Paul Wilson nerds, and... Um, You'll also be hearing me snoring through all of those That's fine. Lim, Lim can go fuck himself. I'll read those books eventually, just so I'm not okay. there. Okay. Uh, so before we before we get into the meat and potatoes of this, uh, we like to thank this episode is brought to you by you, and I'm talking to Ryan, Patreon subscribers. We don't make money on this podcast. It is not a profitable thing. It is the only thing keeping me sane, but it is not putting money in my pocket, and not, that's not what I'm here for. But there are costs to running a podcast and a podcast network, and your donations greatly help us out, and we appreciate it. So if you would like to subscribe to our Patreon to give your hard-earned money to us, you can go to cinepunks.com backslash Patreon, or no, patreon.com backslash cinepunks. Just fucking go to the website, cinepunks.com. <laughs> There's instructions there. You know how to use Patreon. So we are eternally grateful to all of our Patreon subscribers. We're recording a Patreon exclusive soon. Yeah. It's very, it's very neat. I can't talk about it. Liam got mad because I told him what I was going to do and he got upset. No, you sent it to me and I, I literally didn't read it. Yeah. It's so secret. We don't even know about we're gonna surprise it's each other. oh it's so it's kind of gay but it's oh it's so secret this episode is also brought to you by the premier screen printing company of the greater lehigh valley area lehigh valley apparel creations now liam if i said to you liam i want to get t-shirts made that say i hate brad renfro so much that he is the worst person in apt pupil including ian mckellen who is a nazi i wanted to get it on a t-shirt where would you tell me to go we have Valley Paracretions. Why is that? Well, as you said, they are the premier screen printer of the Lehigh Valley. But also, they are professional, they are personable, yes, and they are creative. Yes. And as long as you can do most of your business with them without interacting with Chris Reject, they are the best place you Who can do Who is an actual undead monster. Yeah, I mean, if you are unlucky enough to be caught in a conversation with, you, with him, he will suck out all of your uh, life energies. Yes. Via his punishing powers. Yes. But if you throw salt on him and chant the enchanted name of Solomon, you might get away. So, if you have an idea for a t-shirt, or a pin, or a koozie, or fucking anything, like a windbreaker, you could go to www.xlvacx.com and find out more information. The website's pretty self-explanatory. I remember when they unrolled it, a couple things went wrong and it got Chris upset, so I thought it was funny. Um, but yeah, for more information www.xlvacx.com. If you're wondering, do those X's mean that Chris Reject is a, a sober member of society? Not even close. No. Chris Reject is not, and never has been, and never will be, straight edge. He doesn't know how to spell it, even. No. He doesn't even know how to... He, uh, at his worst, he probably doesn't... He, he's not even aware of his own existence. So, now has come the time in the podcast where usually I would ask Liam 
the question of the ages that echoes across the oceans of time. Do anything hard recently? Yeah, yeah, I've done a couple of things here. I got a couple of things I talk about. Um, as y'all know, I think we talked about it on the last episode, I went to uh, Harthon See. recently. Um, well, the folks at Exum were man- uh, able to squeeze in one more event at the I House before it closes. Uh, in case y'all don't know, uh, International House uh, in West Philly, uh, the, the theater, well, International House is closing and being torn down. So, of course, the theater inside is also going out of business. And so Exhumed had their last event in that space. They called it the last horror show. And the idea was they were going to show five movies uh, that not only had never played a horror even though they had wanted to, four of the five they had never shown before ever. Hmm. So this is like, we've got these movies or access to these movies and we're going to, we're going to screen them and you know, whatever. Uh, and it was also just like they, every year they do a holiday party. So this sort of stood in for their holiday party. So that meant before the movie started, there was like a potluck. It's funny the way a potluck works with a bunch of people who don't know each other. So what that means is that, uh, the exhumed people provided pizza and hoagies and free beer. Okay. And then maybe five people brought actual food, and then about 80 people brought various cookies and chips. Just, you know, you know that thing? If you go to a potluck, there's always those cheap jerk-offs who are just like, I'm just going to buy a box of cookies. Imagine imagine that, but 80 of those people. (laughs) So there's just piles of not just cheap cookies, often the same cheap... It's like... Do you want this one kind of tasty cake cookie? Good. There's four boxes, so it's like let's go through this box and then the next box because they all stopped at the same store. What kind of tasty cake cookies are we talking about? That's not the point. The point is, is that um, it's just it's just that it's that potluck thing I'm used to seeing at potlucks, exacerbated to a much larger degree, such that um, you know there's probably like 250, 300 people there, right? There was only enough actual food for like a hundred people, but there were snacks for like a thousand people. You know hey what man, I mean? Like mir- fish and loaves, man. Miracle of the fish and loaves. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, you know, if you wanted pizza, I was there at the beginning, and before the movies even started, I couldn't get any pizza. Pizza was gone. No pizza for me. But if I had wanted any number of Christmas cookies or uh, salt and vinegar chips, or you know <laughs> what I mean, like random stuff, uh, the only real food that was left is someone made. Someone came late and brought a chili that was pretty good. I got to have a little bit of that. But other than that, there was no food left for me. I just had to go buy food at a potluck. I had to buy food. Uh, that sounds like I'm being really negative. I didn't mean to, I'm not trying to be negative. It was still a fun event. And uh, I brought rough cut shirts. I made to sell a bunch of shirts. So that's cool. nice. Uh, so the lineup, I know you guys are sitting here being like, tell us about what we played. So a movie played called The Child. Okay. Sort of a. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a 70s low-budget kind of fever dream movie where this family, uh, it's a, a a woman comes out to basically be an au pair for a little girl. The little girl is like uh, trouble, let's say. Hmm. And when people cross the little girl or in some way she's annoyed with them, at some point she comes back to see them with her two pet zombies, which are basically her dead mom and another dead mm. person. Would and you say that talk your shit for for the last time? Now you're fucking dead. Yeah. Cross me. Yeah, 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 basically. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the child, and then after the child was uh, humanoids from the deep. Interesting movie. 
I like that movie, actually. Yeah, okay. It's fun. Apologist. Go on. Uh, okay, I will say this about the about uh, Humanoids, is that um, uh, it's a bummer, all the inserted... You know what I mean? Like, it's a bad choice of words. No, I, it's actually a quite accurate choice of words. That the film wasn't originally meant to have all the those rape scenes and uh you know weirdness hmm. that it's just another example of a of a um uh a film directed by a woman then getting changed by the company that put it out so which is you know I don't love that but it's just how it is but a lot of it is still really fun and I love the creature design after humanoids from the deep was a movie called movie called yeti the Giant of the 20th Century. Interesting. Bigfoot. I, was it a Bigfoot gone bad? I did not watch this movie. Why not? Um, I needed I needed a break. I needed to sell some more shirts, basically. So I sold some more shirts. Uh, a Yeti Gets Loose in Downtown Toronto. Sounds amazing. Sign me up. It's an Italian film. Even better. Directed by Gianfranco Paralini. I love him. Uh, let's see. I'll read someone else's review. Not very good, but genuinely crazy in a lot of ways that make it required viewing. It's as if someone was hired to make the triple X parody of King Dong and then forgot to shoot the pornographic scenes. Wait. What's King Dong? Oh, it's... Well, I, I mean, I think they meant the parody of King Kong would be King Dong. Oh. So it's like, this is basically like the quality of a pornographic parody of King Kong mm. with no sex in it. Oh, sounds like a waste of time. Yeah. Then a little movie called Mako, The Jaws of Death. Uh, have you heard of this movie? I, I want to say yes, but I think I'm thinking of Cruel Jaws. Mako, The Jaws of Death is a film about a man who loves sharks so much that he goes around murdering people who hurt sharks. So Carly from Final Girls in like five years. It is basically like the sort of vegan ally movie. Like, the whole time I was watching it, I was like, there, Earth Crisis should be on this soundtrack. Yes. Like, vegan Reich should be on this soundtrack. Like, uh, it starts to go off the rails towards the end because, basically, they need to move it forward. He can't just murder people. What, so, what country is this movie from? Uh, oh, it's American film. No shit. Oh, yeah. I, rec- I recommend it to folks, as long as you keep in mind that the original premise, which is like, this man was saved by sharks, and now he's like becomes friends with them. And as long as he wears his necklace, they won't hurt him. And they've all these scenes of him like cuddling with sharks and stuff. In so real life. fucking Aquaman, yeah, basically. And so like when people hunt sharks, he like comes up on their boats and like murders them and feeds them to the sharks. Uh, it kind of goes off the rails because they have to like have him relate to people, and so he keeps making clearly poor decisions to let people interact with the sharks that are not going to treat the sharks well. Uh, there's definitely a scene where. Um, he discovers that th- this mama shark that he like we, we want to film this shark giving birth and then like the she and all her babies are dead and he just like rages out and starts smashing things and goes to like murder this guy and it's like a whole thing so it kind of goes off the rails but at first I mean the movie was when the movie ended I definitely went over to a friend and said that's what a real ally looks like huh? yes finally they made a movie about allyship which is murder all your friends for <laughs> not treating people right. Okay, anyways. So, uh, and then and then the last movie, I had to leave before the last one, uh, but I, I acquired a copy, so I can't wait to watch it and report back to y'all. A little movie called Devil Fetus. Whoa! Devil Fetus is a uh, Hong Kong horror film, 
After a couple purchases an antique vase at a market, the woman is possessed and killed by a demonic creature. Twelve years later, the demon returns to possess the woman's nephew and wreak more havoc. Hmm. Uh, so, I don't know if either one of you know about the, I think they're called Class 3 films. No. So, in Hong Kong, films that were deemed so offensive, I think it was Hong Kong, it might be mainland China, but I think it was Hong Kong, deemed so offensive that they... Basically, like our version of X, they're called class. Three, okay, because they're so offensive, they were bad for society. You know, hmm. uh, Devil Fetus supposedly is one of the films that caused the creation of Class Three, and was actually retroactively rated Class Three after the fact. When did it come out? Uh, Devil Fetus is a film from 1983. Okay, um, yeah. So I had to leave. People who stayed said it was amazing. In the uh, way that you can't tell if that means you should watch it or not, you know, they're like, it was unbelievable. Who told you it was amazing? No one who stayed to watch it didn't tell me it was amazing. God damn it! So, I need. We're we gonna we're gonna watch it. You are gonna watch it. I'm, I'll probably watch it. Come on, I'll uh, watch it. And then, okay, so that was my major horror related thing. A couple things I wanted to mention. I watched that movie Haunt. What did you think of that? It's fine. I didn't really like it. Okay. Um, here are my issues with it uh, primarily is A, I don't care about any of the characters and th- I mean that in two directions. I often think a slasher suffers because I don't care about the kids getting killed. Yes. But that can be conquered by a bad, like a like a murderer or killer, whatever the villain is. Yeah, we talked about this in Sorority House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah if yeah. the villain's interesting, then okay. It's hard fine. business rule 420. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought the villains were as bad as the heroes, and so I'm just like, and there's a whole abuse subplot that doesn't go anywhere, mm-hmm. and I thought the ending was uh superbly stupid. I forget how that movie ended, so I guess I didn't like it either. <laughs> I just felt like, it, well, and I'll say this, and this is something I've said on the show before, it extra pissed me off because there was enough good stuff in the middle, like kills and stuff, that I thought... Oh, these people know how to make a movie. They just didn't know how to use this idea very well. Mm-hmm. That bummed me out. I would almost like it more if, if it, I would be less bothered by it if it was just all bad. But when I was watching it going, oh, this could have been good, mm-hmm. it kind of made me frustrated. Those are the worst movies. Yeah. I also recently rewatched Psycho 2. I just bring it up to mention it because I think that movie's underrated. I like Psycho 2. Wow. Whoa. Hank. Thank you for your service, Liam. Any other brave statements you want to say? I mean, a lot of people hate on Psycho 2. I think it's cool, man. It's a serviceable, it's a serviceable slasher movie. I'm, I dig it. And they say the troops are the real heroes, but Liam O'Donnell is here saying that Psycho 2 is a quote-unquote serviceable movie. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. You brave son of a bitch. Oh, I hate you so much. Uh, well, speaking of things that people will be annoyed about, I also watched Joker. Yeah. It's fine. So when are you and Susan getting divorced? <laughs> because well, I, you're now an incel. Uh, no, that would be a vol cell. Oh, my bad. That's what I'm totally down with, is being a vol cell. Gotcha. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, I just think I think Joker's a classic case of the all the hype got people super pissed and people super stoked. And then I'm watching the movie going, it's... There's nothing he there's nothing there to be either deeply offended by or totally inspired by. Okay. It, it is uh exceedingly mediocre, entirely average, just a super run of the mill movie. Man. With very little to recommend. I hope it. Todd Phillips doesn't listen to this podcast because he'll yo, be out for fucking blood. Yo, Todd. 
Your movie's fine. Let's put it this way. It's no hangover. Let's put it this way. Whoever shot it knows how to make it look pretty. And, you know, telling uh, telling uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, you know, he can do whatever he wants. I guess that was inspired to some extent. But for the most part, there's just nothing there. Like, yeah. It just was like, oh, it's fine. I, don't yeah. know. I mean, I get a little bit of why people are bummed on it because it's just like um, clearly the m- central through line is mental health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it treats the mental health with like the 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 sensitivity of a seventies horror movie. You know, it's like, yeah, he's crazy. He laughs sometimes. He does crazy stuff. He's got a case of the doy doys. We better lock yeah. him up. Yeah, he's a real cray cray. And then people are mean to him. And you know what happens when you're mean to a cray cray? They fucking they go start nuts, killing people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. I like how even our dickhead New Yorkers are still like. <laughs> there's a line we were like right there to say the R word, but then we're like. Eh. <laughs> Even our asshole alter no, egos are like, no, I will not. Yeah, I do not say it. Anyways, so yeah, I, 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 you know, I don't think I could recommend the Joker to anyone, but I think if people have been avoiding it because they're worried it's going to like super offend you or something, it's just just not thing there. It's hmm. I do think it slightly, you know, the, part of the the narrative about it is that it has no politics, so like you can read into it whatever you want, you know, mm-hmm. and and you could be think it's pro your side or anti your side. I will say. Though it's unambiguously skeptical about protesters. Okay. You know, all these protesters are inspired by the Joker, or, you know, he's not Joker yet, but the guy who is becoming the Joker. And yet he keeps being like, politics, who cares? Like, I don't believe in anything, man. Blah, blah, blah. And so, like, um, I think there's this sense in which the film is pretty clear that these people are just being manipulated and they're not smart enough to know better. Mm. So that, to me, has a certain politics to it. It's very Eli Rothy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways, but it's it's not that sharp, though. It's not like Eli Roth will really go after people. This is a little bit more like, yeah, those people seem crazy, whatever. Like, it's just not committed enough to anything to really... Yeah. It's not even committed enough to being a Joker movie because the way it ends kind of goes, or maybe none of this was real, who knows, whatever, bye. And you're like, cool. So the killing joke? Um, not nearly as insightful or offensive as gotcha. the killing joke. Gotcha. It has it has neither the right tone nor the tone deafness that mm-hmm. is represented in the killing joke. What about you, Justin? Uh, I thought you, did. Did you see a little movie called uh? Did you see Doctor Sleep? Oh, I forgot about Doctor Sleep. We talked about it on the on Cinepunks, and I forgot. I didn't get to talk about it on here. I saw Doctor Sleep. My opinion of Doctor Sleep is that. There's a lot of things in there that are good. I think it has to do too much work. This is one of those movies where I'm watching it thinking, this is a bad book to make into a movie because it has to do a lot of work to get to the part where things are happening I care about. Everything that's like, Danny's a kid. Danny's a drunk adult. Danny's not a drunk anymore. Now the plot starts. All the stuff up to there, I'm like, it's it, it's bad. It's you didn't find work. his story... First, Ryan, have you seen this movie? It's not a. This isn't a spoiler. You didn't find the scene with the the, the one night stand girl. You didn't find that like compelling. No, no, no. What I'm saying is the pacing doesn't. It's too much inform. It's one of those things where it is going too fast mm. for you to connect with it, mm. and it really starts to flesh itself out as a movie once all those pieces are on the table. Mm. It really should have been with the same cast and same director. Should have been a TV show. Should have been a Netflix series. I've heard or an that Amazon series because I think the lead up, even if it was only a couple of episodes, 
give me three episodes of that lead up and then have stuff really kick off episode four. That's that makes sense. Doing 45 minutes of that lead up, it was like, this is too much. It's going too fast, but it's also moving too slow at the gotcha. same time. It was frustrating to me, and it I didn't really get to see the characters till stuff started to pop off. Mm. I also think um, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, okay? But the big reveal at the hotel of what Danny is going to do mm-hmm. is telegraphed early on. I would call it the Chekhov's gun of the movie, okay? And as soon as I saw said gun, I went, "Oh, so that's going to go off at some point." And so he meets a giant turtle, and the turtle like winks at him, and then he beats up a clown. <laughs> It goes on for so long of the the being like, guys, don't forget about the gun. That by the time it goes off, I was like, yeah, okay. That could have been so cool if I didn't see it coming. But I felt like it was a little bit telegraphed. I also felt like the, because of the pacing of the movie, we didn't get the sense of how much danger Abra's family was in. Yes, I agree. Because Abra, the reality is Abra is, based upon the movie, I haven't read the book, based upon the movie, Abra's never in danger. Like no, that the movie very quickly is like, oh, no, they have no chance. She will destroy them. Yeah. And so then the point is that everyone else is in danger, and the film doesn't spend enough time making that sharp enough for me. Okay. So it felt kind of fun, and I'm like watching it being like, this isn't supposed to be fun right now. This is supposed to be building up tension. Yeah. Instead of going, <laughs> they think they have a chance. It's yeah. so funny. And it doesn't really become scary at all or tense at all till they get to the hotel. And then when they get to the hotel, I'm like, okay, here's the movie... Here's where the movie's at its best. Okay. Still, I went by myself, and that's a perfect opportunity to be like, this is dumb. And yet I left like... So you're in the theater by yourself just laughing hysterically in the dark? Yeah, basically. Was there a movie you've been playing? (laughs) (laughs) That that joke would have worked a lot better if you just smashed it happens. with the microphone. Uh, I love the story that Mike Mike Flanagan, I think he was like, he did like a Reddit AMA about that movie. And the story about like um, Jacob Tremblay, like the actor, who the little kid... Sure. During like that scene, yeah. apparently like Rebecca Ferguson was like, "Could you like take it down a notch because you're making me upset?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, no problem." And then he just kept, and they were like, "It was apparently making everyone in the in the on set like very upset." And then when he called cut, the kid like got up and like high fived his dad and like ran over to like the catering table covered in fake blood, and everyone was just like, "Could we just call it a day? This is like too much. I can't deal with this." Like, I love that. yeah. I side note. I also love that um, Danny from the original movie had a bit part in this yeah. movie. Yeah, I, I I I noticed that right away. I love that. So, you, did you do anything else involving her, Liam? Oh no, I'm done. I already kicked it to you. You brought up Doctor Sleep for you. What so, did- uh, segue into what I've done recently. I also long overdue John involving Mike Flanagan. I watched Hush the other night on a whim. Oh sure, yeah. I really like that movie. Yeah, um, I think it's pretty good. I didn't realize that Katie Seagal was the uh, the lead. She's great. Um, it was also the uh, that actor who plays like the man, whatever he is. Yeah. What else has that guy been in? I don't know. Uh, let's do a little interneting. Well, it's not. It's not. It's not important. I liked it a lot. Mike Flanagan. I stan him. Mike Stanigan. Uh, I started watching a little TV series called Limetown on Facebook. Have either of you heard about this? No. It's on Facebook TV. They're like half hour episodes. It's based on like a popular weird creepy pasta podcast um, about this. In- oh, John Gallagher was in Ten Cloverfield Lane. Oh, and Short Term Twelve. Okay, and Jonah Hex. <laughs> oh. So, Limetown is just this really weird, spooky 
serial about this. Uh, there's this town where like 15 years ago, it was just like a research station. Everyone went missing. And this is, this journalist is like trying to like uh, uncover what actually happened. It's got like Jessica Beale and Stanley Tucci in it. It's pretty good. It's a little creepy. It's fun. It's worth it. Um, I also watched a little movie called Sweetheart. Uh, if you like spooky island movies, like deserted island movies with monsters, you will love this movie. Um, it's sort of like Castaway. If the worst parts of Tom Tom Hanks's delusions were real, like if there was a if like Wilson was a monster, that's the plot of Sweetheart. Uh, also watched Velvet Buzzsaw. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, very good. I yeah, like very that. good, very good. Um, I love Tony Collette. I think she's great. Jake Gyllenhaal is also an asshole, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, watched a little movie called Antrim. Why does that sound familiar? Because it played that? Brooklyn Harf hard last year. Oh, right. Now, Antrim is. I don't. I. I I'm like torn on how I feel about it because it has this like. It's it's literally a found like a found footage, not in the way that it's like like a like a document like a documentary that's been found. You're basically watching a documentary about this film called Antrim that was made back in the 70s and they only ever showed it once at some like Austrian art house and the place burned down and everyone went crazy and it's been this like legendary thing and finally this like you know film collector found a copy and you're watching that so it's sort of like it's neat because it's like the first like 10 minutes are people like talking about it and giving like a little backstory for it and then there's like this countdown from like 30 like you now have 25 seconds to leave the theater before Antrim plays. So I think it would have hit harder had I saw it like in a movie theater because I really, really like like William Castle style shit like that. Mm -hmm. um, but the movie itself was actually uh, pretty weird. Mm. Um, it was kind of like The Gate meets like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and there's like a dog involved and these kids like go to hell to rescue their dog and then they have to fight Chop Top it's the best way I would describe it. Really weird movie, but it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, then I watched a little movie called Wounds on Netflix starring Sexpot Army Hammer. Yeah, totally. Very yeah. good movie. I'm very curious about that. I haven't gotten I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, he's amazing. Like, I could watch him recite, like, 70s cookbook recipes for an hour, and I'd be like, that was, that was compelling cinema right there. That was a really amazing filmmaking right there. Uh... Watch a little movie called Happy Death Day to You. Love that movie. So good. It's, it's so good. And then finally, um, a movie that had gotten a lot of hype, and I, I, I wish we would have watched it at Brooklyn Horror Film Festival. Uh, I watched Harpoon. I meant to, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on my list to see. Harpoon is fucking that's amazing. Another, that's another uh, Yellow Veil, Joe Yannick. It's release. so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's really so see good. It. Because it's, it's like. I don't know how to describe it. Like, it's not like a horror film the way that you think it's a horror film. Sure. But it's more like one of those things when you think about uh, how horrible people can be. Yeah. Just like people, like not, you know, just like normal people, how terrible they can be. Uh, and it was a really enjoyable, it was a really enjoyable movie. Like, it was, it, it was like very, very self-contained, like very limited setting uh, movie, but it had like a weird, like... I don't know why I was getting vibes like almost like a like a noir film. Like it was like a whodunit. Sure. Even though we were seeing everything that was going on, and there was no nothing these people were doing was escaping our view. There was still the sense of like, what the fuck is going on? Like who's right. we knew everything, yeah, but yeah, you have yeah, to put yeah, the pieces. Yeah. But yeah, Harpoon, it's great. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then uh, I, I I don't want to talk. I'll just bring it up. Another movie on Netflix that I wasn't 
I wasn't in love with, but I don't feel love, so that's fine. A little movie called a little movie called Eli. Oh, I heard bad things. Yeah, yeah. Lily Taylor's in it, and I love her. Sure. Literally, the only good thing about this movie, um, it's unfocused. It has yeah. like a final act twist that comes out of nowhere, and they're like they act like they've been setting it up the whole time, and you're like, uh, no, not, 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 that this doesn't make any sense. You literally pulled that out of thin air, and it's fucking stupid. Um, it's just really corny. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to say too much bad stuff about it because I'm not a negative person. <laughs> So, with that, now that we've gotten out of the way what we've been doing, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about 1983's fairy tale Michael Mann. <laughs> we're going to talk about a movie that literally inspired F. Paul Wilson to write fucking fanfic about killing Michael Mann, 1983's The Keep. We'll be right back. this place. Who knows for sure? You must not stay here. Something has been released, I think. Did you find what you were looking for? Did you expect to find me? What are you? Whatever kills us gets in anyway. Nothing we do, no security works. We are back to talk about 1983's The Keep, directed by Michael Mann, written by Michael Mann and F. Paul Wilson, starring <laughs> Scott Glenn, Ian McKellen, uh, Jurgen Proctow, is I believe how I pronounce it, and Robert Prosky and Gabriel Byrne. There's a few other people in there, but it's mostly those people. Uh, the Keep is, I'll read you the IMDb summary. <clears throat> Nazis are forced to turn to a Jewish historian for help in battling the ancient demon they have inadvertently released. They have inadvertently freed from its prison. Now, it's not a fucking demon. Ryan, I have a question for you. How did yes. how did you how did you discover this movie? And I'm going to ask mm-hmm. you the same question. Um, I had a friend in high school 
who was really into um, not so much World War II, but uh, he liked to do uh, he liked to put together those uh, models you can find in hobby stores. Okay. And one day his grandfather came over and I don't know, started talking about the war. And then he said, uh, said something to the effect of, do you want to see something scary? Well, you know, like Dan Aykroyd in the damn twilight zone movie. (laughs) And he said, uh, sure, I guess. So he took, he drove him down to the local video store, like the mom and pop kind with the, you know, the velvet curtain that blocks off the, uh, the adults only section. Yes. And he, he pulled out a copy of the keep. (laughs) And so he showed him this movie and so we were hanging out with this guy, and he said, "Hey, have I ever told y'all about this movie?" I said, "No, I don't think so." So we had to, we got in his car, we drove to the damn video store, rented it, and watched it. And I just remember thinking, "What the fuck am I watching?" Because um, I I hadn't read any of F. Paul Wilson at that point, and so I remember we, we watched it, and it sort of became almost a joke kind of thing for us. Where if we couldn't think of anything to watch, we'd go, we'd drive to the video store and rent it, and then and it was it became sort of a an inside joke for us, which in high school you think is real cool, and as an adult, and that's really fucking stupid. Yeah. Um. And then, so as time went on, I <laughs> I asked my mom to get me a copy of the keep. And, for you know, so I could have it, and I guess the only you know the only two formats it was ever released on were VHS and Laserdisc. Um, so I got the VHS. I've had the same VHS since high school, um, and honestly, before I started interacting with you know sort of horror podcasts and you know, for lack of a better term, film Twitter, uh, nobody in my immediate circle had ever heard of this film. Um, so it, I, I was pleased to find that there were a lot of people that had actually seen this film. Um, and then, uh, so that, you know, that's sort of how it, how I came to find it and why I enjoy it. Um, again, upon mo- my most recent rewatch, I think a lot of my love for it comes for, from, my love of the source material, which I ended up checking out after the fact and, um, just having enjoyed it so many times as a 16, 17, 18 year old kid. Um, cause there's a lot of, uh, I would say problems with this film. Um, a lot of, uh, let's just say that the fabled director's cut, uh, I think it would benefit greatly from that absolutely absolutely yeah yeah this is uh apparently f paul wilson or yeah f paul wilson um well no f paul wilson too uh michael mann wanted to make this movie almost four hours long and uh paramount was like you're out of your fucking mind make it (laughs) make it 90 minutes or you're fired so if you watch the movie there are actually parts where um the editing was done so badly that like there are there are scenes that like there's like where dialogue almost starts they don't properly clip the dialogue right 
which is oh, yeah, yeah. it's it's a tragedy. It really is, just because uh, I share uh, Wilson's opinion of this movie, and where it's largely incomprehensible, but it's still. Um, I believe the term he used was visually intriguing. And, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely a it's 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 not a it's a very gorgeous looking movie. Like it's not flat. Like the the it it it, it feels very alive, and the, the the there's a lot of like neat you know imagery going on in there. But I mean, if if I hadn't read the book first, I think I would have gone into this movie being what the fuck, what like why does Scott Glenn have a laser sword? What is this? Yeah, yeah, we we thought it was we always called it a yeah the the relic bazooka. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's I mean, literally, it's a tube that a, a laser shoots out of. Which, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I, well, really, it's a tube and a flashlight. Yeah, that, that a laser shoots out of. Yeah. But. So, Liam, what was your introduction to this movie? I always knew this movie from the. Uh, very intense cover art. It was just like a one of those movies you just see at the video store. Um, but I had never seen it until uh, one Harthon, 24-hour Harthon, they played it. So uh, I just knew, like, oh, The Keep. Okay, cool. I've heard of this movie. I'll watch it. And um, it wasn't even, like, late at night or anything, but it was very much like, what am I watching <laughs> right now? <laughs> um, I will say... Seeing it on film was cool, uh, and I know that the cut that I watched was different than I think a year later I watched it with you. Yeah, and I remember thinking this is slightly different, but it wasn't slightly different in a way that helped at all. Either way, yeah, like both movies are slightly like what's happening right now. Yeah, but it was like, huh? What I watched in the theater is not what is playing in front of me right now. But I don't remember if it's more or less comprehensible than what I'm watching right now. You know what I mean? So um, anyways, yeah, it was one of those movies that I'd always heard about and then later on had put on a list of like movies I wanted to watch because I like Michael Mann. You know, I, I think he has sort of gone out of the conversation now. A lot of people don't talk about him per se, but uh, he made a few things that I think are just essential watching you know so it was just one of those things that i was like oh i want to see that yeah it's on the list but i just hadn't made a chance you know made time to see it and then after i saw it at Harthon, you i think brought it up to me jokingly and i was like oh yeah let's watch that and you're like <laughs> you want to watch the keep and i was like yeah yeah let's watch the keep so um yeah i i don't have a long history with it i didn't even know it was based off a book before you told me i just thought it was a weird movie mm. you know uh and but i could see like Watching it even before I knew it was based off a book, I thought this can't be the whole movie. No, it feels. Yeah, I mean, first of all, my first thought was, why is this Tangerine Dream music video so long? It's too. <laughs> it's too long. It's like they went for their own thriller. Yeah, and it was only later I realized that there was meant to be a movie in there. <laughs> <laughs> that there was meant to be a narrative we were getting out of it. So. I have like a kind of a complicated relationship with this movie. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that I am a massive F. Paul Wilson fan. My entire internet persona is basically a, a, an homage to F. Paul Wilson. Uh, I had read this book when I was maybe 13 or 14 years old and fell in love with it because that was right when I was like 
Stephen King and H.P. Lovecraft are the best. I need to find someone like that. And then I, you know, I, re- I forget how, I, I think it was either the Easton Library or the Wilson Library, not the F. Paul Wilson Library, unfortunately. Um, but I had read this book and then found out there was like a movie made about it. But this was back in 96, 97, when uh, it was just at the time when it was like DVDs were just starting to come in and like VHS tapes were on their way out. And I was just a kid, so it wasn't like I could go to like a flea market or go find this. So for years, I couldn't see this movie. And uh, I just would read about how much F. Paul Wilson hated it. And I was like, well, it can't be, can't be that bad. Like it, it can't, it can't be that far from what he was aiming for. And um, I do think that most of my dissatisfaction with this movie does come from the fact that I, I do hold this book and, uh, you know, F. Paul Wilson's body of work as a as a whole, I hold it so close to my heart that this movie utterly fails to capture what makes the book great. And while I don't understand the uh, breadth of venom that F. Paul Wilson has for Michael Mann, at the same time, uh, I could understand it. If, if, if I had written a book that was basically the... Um, the keystone for an entire uh, literary universe that I was making um, and would kick off like an entire saga of books I was writing. If someone tried to make a movie about that and failed as bad as, um, you know, Paramount did, because it's not entirely Michael Mann's fault, I would probably be a little pissed off too. Um, But doesn't it seem, okay, this is something that I, in our common vernacular, right? Okay. We blame directors for everything. Yeah, yeah. And I'm okay with that because for normal people, someone, if you're going to blame a, a person, I get why we just go, okay, well, who is the director? That person, all right, they ruined the movie. Yeah. But it seems like Wilson is enough in the mix to to maybe get like, I don't like things man did, but it's not just his fault that this movie is bad. No, I mean to give to give credit where credit's due. He, it, it's not like. I mean, it's it's not as. I don't think it hurt him as much as it hurt Stephen King when Stanley Kubrick made The Shining. Like, I don't think. Sure. I don't think Michael Mann is as nearly as much of a fucking lunatic as Stanley Kubrick was. But I, I think Wilson also kind of resents Mann for not taking more of a stand against Paramount. Sure. And for because he had this he had the original cut was 210 minutes long. And I understand that that's that's a bit much for a movie that, you know, this is 1983. This is for Michael Mann really had any like clout, I guess. Um, and, you know, no offense to F. Paul Wilson. This is before he was really on like the bestseller list. Um, so I, I think a lot of that resentment comes from allowing this uh failure of his vision to be allowed to escape into the wider world much much in the way that Rassilon I'm sorry Molasar was allowed to escape into the world after the keep <laughs> Liam doesn't get that reference because he's a fucking muggle <laughs> I mean if you two want to just go into it right now about the book and the various things around the movie and stuff that'd be fine I you know I don't have a lot. the The problem for me with the keep is there's not enough there really to say too much, and that's part of the. I mean, I could definitely say like this looks like a Michael Mann movie. Yeah. Um, Michael Mann likes smoke and lights, and a certain kind of like you know shot 
there's a certain <laughs> composition he likes, yeah. you know. Um I think there's the hints of a cool kind of mythology here, you know. Um, oh, it's there. It it's actually one of the things that I really, really like about this movie. Actually, I want to say two things. One of the things about the look of this movie that I really, really like is actually sort of anti F. Paul Wilson or anti uh, the keep. Because in the book, the whole thing was that um, they weren't seeing anything. It was it would literally be like, all right, Hans, I'm going to bed. Good night, Fritz. Fritz. And then it would look and the guy who was talking to you like a second ago just had his fucking head torn off. And they're like, oh, what's doing this? And it was like the, they thought the darkness itself was doing it, which is a, kind of a creepy idea because there's a lot of scenes in the book where they talk about like the way this thing manipulates. I believe the term is umberkinesis, if I can, if I remember my X-Men terminology. <laughs> um, but then like th- one of the one of the more intriguing scenes in this movie is when Rasalam is carrying when the thing is fucking carrying um, Dr. Kuz's daughter. Yeah. When when he's car- after she's almost uh assaulted by these two Nazis and it's carrying down the hallway and it's this bizarre man shape of like glowing smoke that's like pulsating going in itself I think that's like a really cool look it's almost like like in the Watchmen when Dr. Manhattan um before he comes back like John Osterman gets like vaporized and like the guards are like seeing uh like a skeleton like walking down the fucking block before he like reassembles himself I kind of like the fact that we were seeing this entity that was uh kind of putting itself back together with the fucking the souls of the Germans. Uh so I, I really like the way that that's how man interpreted uh Molasar. And there was this this is gonna be like super, super, super specific and weird, but uh there's a scene, it's right when they break into Molasar's prison and there's that really, really cool like long shot that just pulls out from the the wall and it it shows that like giant chamber under the keep and there's this like this row of stones that look almost like a bridge and uh that is like the one scene in this movie that i uh i love in the book when uh glaken is telling um i keep what her name in the movie is is it magda that's her name in the book i don't know i forget what her name was in the movie when he's telling her like oh i built the keep i'm the one who built the keep and like i put the images of that sword in like in these weird geometric patterns to keep uh Molasar in there. And none of that is really touched upon in the movie, but I like when they're in that chamber and there's these like weird almost Stonehenge style like uh monoliths everywhere. It's just a really weird, like creepy, vaguely Lovecraftian thing that there's this weird ancient civilization under there that they just had these things set up in a certain way to keep this thing in there. And the downside to that is that only highlights how little of a backstory we get for these characters because we don't know if you, if you're not familiar with the backstory, you're like, you don't know what the fuck's going on. You don't know if, if Scott Glenn is an alien or like a, like a, like a wizard person. It's just, it's really frustrating that they made a movie based on something that had such well uh, laid out backstory and mythos. And then none of that makes it into the, uh, into the actual film. I think there's a, there's a lot of, things in this film where you having read the book uh you can just you can see what they were trying to do and what would have worked but um 
Like, for example, when they roll into this town, they go into the keep, they set up camp inside, and then the first two guards uh, get killed when they open the chamber. And then it just cuts to the ne- what you think is the next morning. But uh, the guard comes in and says something like, five more are dead, or something to that effect. And yeah. Then, and then uh, the SS just show up. Like... <laughs> Like it's one, like it's been a single day, and so you get all these weird compressions uh, of events and time. That if you're not familiar with the source material, or uh, or you just haven't seen the film enough times to kind of figure out that it's that's what's going on, it's confusing as hell because. Um, like I said, you got this situation where these Wehrmacht soldiers are dying. And then all of a sudden it's, yeah, we got orders in, uh, SS shows up, they just start kicking the villagers around and it doesn't really make sense. Like, I don't think, uh, Berlin would order, uh, you know, Ian, you know, an SS, uh, battalion or whatever, whatever group uh, into this town to start rooting out um, "quote unquote" partisan activity. Uh, if just one or two guards died, they. Um, the other thing that upon, upon rewatch was very strange is so much of the backstory, and Justin, you mentioned this earlier, is. It develops between um, the conversations between uh, Glaken and Magda, where he's saying, not actually giving her details, but he, well, he starts revealing them slowly to her. Whereas in this film, literally, um, they kick her out of the keep, they put her in the hotel, she meets Glaken, and then. You know, they basically have sex and then it's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there's no explanation. And I guess in the, I guess, theatrical or home cut or whatever, the cut we got, it's basically they meet, um, they have sex, and then they go sit on a hill. And presumably that's where he's telling her things. But then when they, when the Nazis show up to the hotel, uh, she, she still has no idea what's going on. We have no idea what's going on as the audience outside of uh, background knowledge of the source material. And then they just drag them in and it just feels like you, it just feels really rushed through that into the finale. Whereas, you know, obviously again, in the book, you, you have a series of days where he's revealing information to her and then uh, Dr. Kuza is basically uh, working with Molisar and basically, th- for lack of a better term, collaborating with him to steal, the, steal the, the souls of the Nazis to make himself whole. And then the last bit is to take the relic outside of the keep so he can 
be unleashed. Um, and, and all of that is just condensed into this 90 minute film where it's just, as you mentioned, the audio doesn't like the audio doesn't sync well. Um, dialogue appears at random. Uh, and just even the way the lines are delivered in some, in some respects feels like so rushed where it's, and it's probably just a byproduct of the way it was all the final cut was put together where it's, everyone feels like they're just delivering, they're delivering lines in a way that almost doesn't make sense at times. Yeah. And it's just in, like I said, in one visually it works like, um, that the scene where the they're pulling the crosses out of the wall that first night, um, you know, you take the tan- the soundtrack and uh, the visuals, the lights, the fog, the slow motion when they're running, they're they're going into the keep and then out of the keep, and then that's that's, that's, that's such, such an awesome, awesome image. image. It's it's, it's like, like almost iconic, I think. Yeah, that scene is. Uh, I don't know. It's really effective. It's fun to watch. It looks good. Uh, but outside of, you know, aesthetics, it doesn't really add anything to the film. Because <laughs> um, it doesn't, I mean, in some respects, it doesn't make sense in the, in the way, in the way it's ultimately put together. And I don't like how much of that is Michael Mann's, Michael Mann's fault. Um, you know, we'll never really know. Cause yeah, it, it doesn't seem like anyone wants to talk about this film at this point, except no, us. A, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's unfortunate because uh, just going on Wikipedia, people were like, t- you know, there's been like this weird rallying cry for the director's cut, and Michael Mann is like, could not give less of a fuck. He just like doesn't care at all about this. I don't think F. Paul Wilson cares enough about it to sort of like push for it. Um, and I think this movie. And how it was like handled is like the big reason that uh, the Repairman Jack movie never got made is uh, there is a series that is ripe for 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 a movie, um, especially if you can tie it into the keep. But I just think Wilson is like, nah, they're not fucking touching that. Like I'm 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 you know I've had enough of that. Uh, but two of, I think two of the biggest problems I have with this movie is. Uh, the the movie is hyped as like a it's almost like you know the nazis unleash the ultimate evil and like we have to root for the nazis and it's like well that's a oversimpli- oversimplification of thing because uh you know in the book uh captain warman is like a german soldier who hates the nazis almost as much as we do right uh doesn't want him involved can't stand the fucking ss officer that shows up uh he's just like a german uh, just a, like a career German army officer. And that doesn't really come across in the movie. Like when he first rolls up and he's like talking about how these villagers are going to respect us. We're going to show them how like true order is and all that. That sounds almost like the stuff that um, Comfort would say, like uh, we're either going to, we're going to kill like a villager a day until we run out of villagers or these killings stop. Uh, and Jurgen Proctow's character really doesn't get across the uh, the sort of heroic characteristics that his character has in the book. Uh, and I think that that really makes for a sort of like murky moral ambiguity that I'm not entirely, I'm not crazy about in this movie. Uh, and then this movie doesn't really have 
stakes. There's no real stakes in the end. It's sort of like what, what is what is Molasar going to do when when uh, Kuza gets the the relic outside? You know, he's just like, yeah, I'm going to kill all the Nazis, and it's like, why does Glaken want him to stay in there? And you know, we know, you know, that if he gets out, it's fucking, it's the end game, it's done. Like he, he, the otherness comes through, we're all fucked. Uh, but in the movie, there's, it's just like, but why, why can't they just blow the keep up? Like, why, why, uh, why, why does this relic have to stay in there? Um, and it, it also doesn't, it doesn't really highlight the the moral corruption of uh, of of Doctor Kuza, you know, because that's what they 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 hammer again and again in the book is that like Rassalam gets sustenance when like innocence is actually corrupted, and when good men do bad things for the wrong reasons, and that's exactly what he makes uh, Kuza do in the book. But in the movie, it's just like just take this sword and um you know threaten your daughter with it, and then you know that's that's it and i I think it's really missing a uh i don't want to say dimension that would you know it's lacking like a depth that uh i think could make it more interesting but again i don't think that's necessarily michael mann's fault i think that that all comes down to uh you know studio interference well he and he sort of suggested a couple times though that like even though he has all this footage he didn't actually know yet how they were going to put the whole thing together. So as much as I think there's a lot of studio interference, I think part of the reason he doesn't want to mess with the whole let's 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 do a director's cut thing is I think at this point he feels like I don't know what I I don't actually know what I was going to do with all this stuff. I don't know how it was all going to work. So I just want to pretend it doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean they even say that apparently he didn't have the look of the main villain figured out and uh, again it's it's cool the way he looks in the in the movie it's fine i mean it's almost an improvement over like um i don't know jonathan davis from corn that's it sounds like he's described in the in in the uh in the in the novel but you just read about this and it just sounds like it was a fucking nightmare where nobody knew what the hell they were doing yeah um there's there's apparently a documentary coming out about this, but I don't I don't know if that'll ever happen. Just because everyone involved either is uh, immediately hostile towards the idea, or they're just I don't care. It's weird. Like this should be a movie that we don't talk about anymore. Yeah, and yet it does have a cult following. Like people care about this, this is movie. The, this is one of the rare times when Wikipedia says, and since its release, it's developed a cult following. Where it actually has <laughs> yeah, developed true. a cult following. I mean, I think that's true of some other of of you know. There are movies that I think like, like f- for example, you know that I very much enjoy Rawhead Rex. But I'm surprised that Rawhead Rex has a cult following. It's mostly not a great movie. Um, I think with the keep, again, I, I'm a little surprised it has a cult following. But you know, as we sort of discussed a teeny bit, it does look really stellar. It has enough. It has enough redeeming qualities where I understand why people still like this movie, but I also understand why F. Paul Wilson has put a bounty on Michael Mann's head. Right. Um, I do think I agree with you on the. There's no moral center to the film because there's not enough time spent for us to really understand, other than just going, "Oh, those guys are Nazis." Okay. Yeah. Oh, they're villagers. I get it. There's nothing else. You know, there's nothing really yeah, to it, latch it, on to it, here. It, it's like the characters of the Kuzas aren't developed enough where you're like i have something invested in these people uh 
Ian McKellen looks like a wax person through most of this movie, and it's weird. Well, he is made of wax. He so. is, yes. He's immortal. Uh, I don't know. It, it's it's fine. I mean, I, I, I can't sing the praises of, of, of the source material enough. Um, much like last week's, uh, the last episode we did, I also have a, an F. Paul Wilson-related tattoo. So, you know, obviously this work and this art means something to me it, it, it affected me uh, it just it's a it's it's the way like i feel that i feel the way about this movie that my mom feels about me and that stop. it's flawed stop. and in the end it's a failure but ultimately i still love it stop so uh either you guys have anything else to say about this movie no um I mean, i think we covered it i i think it's Aesthetically, it's nice to look at. Um, I think it's promising uh, in that there's something underlying it that would be compelling if, but for uh, studio interference and whatever was left on the the cutting room floor, so to speak. I yeah, mean, this is this is one of those things I, I said on the Har Business Twitter that I think this movie is actually one of those. It's it's actually a movie that that should be remade, um, but then there was I forget who said it. Someone, someone we follow, uh, retweeted it with "I would settle for a director's cut Blu-ray," and uh, I get that. But at the same time, can you imagine if like Guillermo del Toro remade this movie? Sure, it would be fucking dope. I mean, don't me wrong. There, there, when you say it's, it's interesting that you bring up del Toro because I think del Toro proves that set design visuals lighting these aren't nothing yeah yeah important and in that way i mean i would say set design alone this movie is kind of like amazing this is a masterpiece in set design unbelievable that it was able to pull it off but you know when you shoot the simple reality is when you're shooting that much and then you're forced to cut it down even if you didn't know how you're going to make you know what i mean like yeah it feels like in a way man wasn't sure what the movie was going to look like till he got into the editing room i mean he knew that ian mckellen looked like a mannequin <laughs> but um but the reality is you if you're cutting it down that much it's inevitable that it's not going to work it's going to feel choppy it's not going to connect the way it needs to and there it just feels like what we have is missing some important story beats that there's something somewhere that we need for this movie to make sense. And, uh, it's a bummer cause I think that it could be better though. Like I said, I don't know about the books. Maybe I hate the books. Maybe this, maybe I'll be one. I'll be like these shining people who are like the, the movie's great. And the book is, no, is trash. Uh, I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like the movie. The keep is the best version of the, keep. I think, I think you would enjoy the actual nerd alert. I think you would enjoy the actual initial adversary saga. Oh sure, because it's right. six books. Oh okay, that are initially all not tied together, and then they all get tied together in the last one. I think you would enjoy that, but I think F. Paul Wilson politically is a little too centrist. Oh, sure, almost sure, sure. for me, like yeah. he is a, he is a libertarian in the true phrase of the word. Like right. he has, uh, like actual academically, like the guy's a doctor in real life. Yeah. Um, but the books espouse some like libertarian ideals that I'm like, uh, yeah, I think like gun control is like right-wing bullshit, but at the same time, uh, I don't think everyone should have an assault rifle. Right. Whereas like F. Paul Wilson's whole thing is like an armed society is a polite society. I don't... In, I, I'm like... That's literally... that. 
the the literal correlation of that is shoot rude people. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like <laughs> you know, and, but I mean, I'll give the guy credit in that. Like when you read his books, especially like the Repairman Jack books, yeah, they are like it's it's almost like if Atlas Shrugged wasn't just bullshit. Sure. You know, they actually espouse like libertarian ideals in a way that's like easy to digest and easy to understand. Um, so I wouldn't recommend reading those, but I would definitely recommend reading if you if you look up the six books in the initial series. I think you would enjoy them. Okay. Yeah, uh, Ryan, have you've read the Repairman Jack books, right? Um, I've read some of them. Okay. Oh man, did you you didn't read the? Uh, did you ever read like the Night at the End or the Dark at the End? Um, man, um, I, yeah, I think so. It's been <sighs> it's been a while. Um, the only ones I've read relatively recently are um the keep and uh night world ah yes yes the new version of night world or the original version i want to say the new the newer version because i got it i got it from the library to read um because i don't and those books are hard to find (laughs) right now they are it sucks and so I'm I'm pretty sure it's the new it's the newer version because it's got it's like the the redesigned covers with the uh, okay yeah yeah for, for forgive me for nerding out I, I you are literally the only other person I've ever met who has ever read these books so I'm just like oh god oh god <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah I I like them I think the I don't know the I think the keep is my favorite um, oh yeah I do like. Some of the some of the repairman Jack books. I haven't read all the. Uh, I have not read all the fair. You know, disclosure. All of the uh, non-adversary cycle ones. So oh, okay. Um. Yeah, but Nightworld especially because I think it, like the Keep and Nightworld are probably my favorites uh, just because. I got really attached to the character of Glaken because you get a lot of him in the book that you don't get in the film. Yeah, yeah. He, um, you definitely see him because he's almost, I guess, almost godlike in the book in the keep. But he's also like I, I love how like relate. It's just, he's like a very it's there's a warmth there that isn't in the movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. He's yeah, he almost seems like a like a Terminator in the film where he's just yeah. I have a I have a prime objective. Uh, I am going to execute it with prejudice. I will use my flashy eyes to scare the Nazis, and I will shoot uh, Molisar Rasalam with my bazooka with my flashlight laser and it's done. And then I get sucked into the keep and everyone's left to pick up the pieces. Whereas in, uh, you know, the book and then in, especially in night world, he, by the time, cause if I, I'm trying to remember, it's been a while. Um, there's a happy ending. He, he marries Magda and yeah. Yeah. Cause you know. he, basically the, the events of the keep have for lack of a better term, rendered him mortal. Yeah, yeah. And so he's uh he's kind of stuck with that and then so he's I don't want to say useless, but he's almost borderline useless in Nightworld, but he yeah. comes through with everybody else and sort of do the 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 stand treatment 
Yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> that is a very good way to put it. Um, okay, so I think we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the other movie involving Ian McKellen and Nazis that <laughs> Brian Singer directed. We're talking X-Men. Nah, no. <laughs> we're going to talk about 1998's uh, Stephen King adaption, very homoerotic movie, Apt Pupil. We'll be right back. I want to hear about it. Hear about what? Everything. What? Everything. Everything they're afraid to show us in school. Far from the shadow of suspicion. Far from the scene of any crime. Todd Bowden has discovered a secret. If you could let me in for a minute, I just want to talk. Talk? I don't have anything to say to you, boy. You were there. You did those things. I'm an American. You've no right to come here and say these lies about me. I have your fingerprints. I have your photographs. What do you want? I want to hear about it. Everything. Between innocence and experience. To the whole world, I am a monster. And you have known about me all this time. Between curiosity... What did it feel like? ...and conscience... Lying to judges and reporters isn't as easy as you think. Can you do that? I know I can. Todd Bowden is about to learn a valuable lesson. I wonder if you'd mind if I ask you a personal question. Not at all. What'd you do during the war? <laughs> I know something about you. So many things can happen in between. Each knew something the other wanted to keep secret. The boys ready to come down to the cellar. You're not gonna believe this. If you don't believe in the existence of evil, you have a lot to learn. That was his name. He wanted to know everything. That was how he put it, yes. Everything. And we are back to talk about 1998's Apt Pupil, directed by Brian Singer, written by... Based on the novel, the novella by Stephen King, uh, based on a screenplay by Brandon Boyce, starring Brad Renfro, Ian McKellen, Joshua Jackson. Joshua Jackson was in this. Yeah, very briefly. He's the friend. He, yeah, yeah, he's, he's the friend. friend. Yeah. And then uh, David Schwimmer, Bruce Davidson, and James Karen, and then all the way at the bottom of the billing, for some reason, Elias Coteus. Ah, character actor extraordinaire. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember. And Joe what, Morton. I don't remember. I mean. I, I just watched this and I don't remember seeing him. Elias, he's the he's the uh, the the homeless gentleman that they they murdered. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right, you're right. So, apt people is a story of Todd Bowden who figures out that his elderly neighbor Kurt Dusender, I'm sorry, uh, Arthur Denker is actually a uh, Nazi SS Einsatzkommando, Kurt Dusender, who is uh, a war criminal. And he blackmails him into telling him 
the, the, the fucking gushy details about the Holocaust because teenagers love hearing about that shit. And then eventually it turns into this sort of weird push-pull relationship uh, that culminates in fucking mayhem. Have either of you read the novella this is based on? Yeah, I read it. Yeah, I read yeah, the yeah. novella before I saw the okay. movie. The one thing I want to talk about with this movie is obviously Brian Singer is a problematic figure. Oh, uh, it does. Yeah. Uh, but there is acceptable, like there is some of the imagery in this film that is like undeniably like subdom homoeroticism that like I'm totally cool with. Uh, we were talking about the the scene where he makes him march. Like that's terrifying and it's very compelling. And it's also, there there is that sort of like dirty, almost like, you're going to do what I tell you to and you're not going to stop until I tell you to. It's very reminiscent of like S&M and it's sort of like, it. May, I mean, it's not just like the SS imagery and the Nazi imagery. There is something like sort of sexual that these, these they have this like weird relationship. Uh, but there was a lot of this movie that like the, the, the sort of male gaze upon uh, Brad Renfro that I thought I was imagining. But then like I went online and like looked it up a little bit and apparently there's been like a lot written about it. So I guess what I'm trying to ask is, uh, Liam, you're not a fan of this movie. No, this is, uh, I would put this squarely in the camp of a bad film. Would you, does that aspect of it uh, figure in on any of your, does that affect your view of this movie? Well, only to the extent that um, if you're going to make a homoerotic Nazi film, just make in a glass cage. Like, just remake in a glass cage. Because this film, it has all this weird undercurrent going on with that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and with some of the, you know, the ways that we are being shown Renfro. And what, it, it just seems a lot more to be dealing with that topic than was in the novella, in my mind. Okay. You know? um, but it is also water. I mean, to me, this is the most toothless movie about a nazi war criminal you could possibly have like the 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 yes uh, there's a certain edge to it that is supplied for me entirely by ian mckellen mm-hmm. like he's crazy and he's really good and he gives us so much to that character uh but the actual story that's present in the movie is like Okay, this guy tells me a bunch of creepy stuff. I get kind of upset, but I'm kind of into it. Yeah. And then uh, I guess old man, uh, you know, the old man wants to kill a cat. Like, it's just, I just feel like there's just, it, uh, of the ways that this could develop, it doesn't go that hard. So all of that stuff feels to me not that it's um, explicitly problematic, though I think you could see that there but on the other hand i would suggest that you know there is a lot of uh there's a lot of sex to fascism that there's a certain repression of the life force and putting forth of the death drive okay uh, to fascism yeah that is inevitably connected to sex and and to sexuality and you know all you got to do is to me, the 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 the, uh, the fetish that people have for the gay white power skinhead that that is a thing that people and not just other people like like uh, fellow uh, white people, but that 
people of color sometimes have fetishes for <laughs> Joey the, Ross. The what do you gay, know about this? The gay white power skinhead. Yeah, because there's just something about the dominant and submissive, you know, uh, fascist character. You know, there's something in yeah, that, yeah. that power struggle. And so this movie flirts with that, and I get why someone might be like, "Ooh, that's kind of gross." But I'm like, to me, it's gross because it's pretending to not be what it is. If it put it more out there, and this this is what this movie's about, actually, it's about this. Then it would be like, okay, I get what you're going for. Like, let's explore this yeah. dank, you know, whatever this sort of uncomfortable space. But instead, by just kind of like, I don't know, here's this weird shower scene. Okay, let's move on. It's fine. You're just kind of like, why that shower scene had me so torn? Because on one hand, I think it's really effective how he just like looks around and there's like right. suddenly like he's in like the right. showers at Dachau. Right. On the other hand. It's Brian fucking Singer right. in a room with naked children, right. which makes my stomach turn. Right, and 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 you you can't help but to me knowing who Singer is. Yeah, again, uh, th- there's all this argument about you know oh the art or the artist. Or he blah, made X Men Three Last Stand. He's a fucking monster. <laughs> but that's not even what I'm getting at. It's like, uh, yeah, you can if you choose to separate the art from the artist. However, to suggest that when the art reminds you of the artist's life. Yes. You, that has to affect, you know, when people try to defend our least favorite person, Victor Salva, Ugh. all you have to do is say, watch Powder. You don't even have to watch <laughs> the movie in, during which he raped a child. Yeah. You don't even have to watch that movie. Just watch the movie he made immediately after getting out of prison yes. from raping a child. Also a fucked up film. When you know that about who he is. In the same way, there's no reason for this film I just don't think because it doesn't do anything with it. Okay, there's no reason for this film to have. And in fact, in another way, this film is nothing like in a glass cage, other than the Nazi part, except for the weird sort of uh, BDSM uh, homoerotic subtext. And that's why I end up feeling like it's a cheap, toothless version of in a glass cage. Anyways, I'm talking too much. Ryan, tell me about this movie and why you picked it. I mean, honestly. I was I was looking for uh, another Nazi adjacent film uh, to go along with the keep. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just because there's man, the movie like the keep. There's just not that much like the keep. Uh, it's no. it, it's so bizarre, um, and, and so I was just racking my brain, and I. Yeah, I don't know. This move, this film came to mind. Uh, you know, I forgot that Brian Singer directed it. Um, so yeah, there's that. <laughs> but um, but I mean, in some ways, thematically, uh, subtext aside, um, there's something about both of these films that is about repressing something. And then the consequences of that repression uh, when there's a a triggering event, uh, something unleashes that. And it's usually really, really bad. Um, So, like, you know, in the keep, when Molisar is released, uh, he turns, you know, he hits people, sucks out their souls, turns their body into, uh, you know, terracotta and throws them against the wall. Um, and you know, obviously, and 
inept pupil, uh, has Brad Renfro basically uh, just haranguing. Um, I don't. I always. I always. I'm so bad at referring to people by their characters' names. I always forget their names. But you can just say you can yeah, just say McKellen. Basically, just haranguing Ian McKellen to tell him about uh, his experiences as an SS officer, and it, it. Yeah, I think sort of his breaking point because if you see him before that throughout the film, he just seems like an old uh, alcoholic guy, but. Once he gets into that SS uniform and he starts having orders barked at him, uh, Renfro tells him to stop, and he, it's like he can't. It's uh, he. I think he he went over the edge at that point. Um, it's almost like if you see him before that, and even some to some degree after that. Uh, you know, there's always he's sitting around uh, uh, drinking, I presume, whiskey or some other dark colored uh, li- uh, liquor of some sort. And it's almost like he has to part of it, you know, his own survival. And part of it is, is it, I don't want to say he has remorse uh, for what he did because that doesn't really uh, jive with the rest of the film. But um, it's almost uh, a situation where it's just better for him to to let that lie, uh, to keep that part of him dormant, so he can live uh, with as normal a life as someone of someone of that ilk could under the circumstances. Um, but then uh, Brad Renfro just he just keeps just. I'm trying to the other word. I just just keeps chipping away at whatever barrier he had built up for himself in this this suburban, you know, suburban sort of persona that he has. Um. So I guess, and that I mean that's sort of after the fact. After I had rewatched both of these, it's just it seems. I don't want to say that these films are necessarily uh, trying to talk about uh, the effects of repression in the sense that um, you're having something forbidden or having something taboo pushed down and then what happens when that's released. But I mean, in in some sense, I, I think that's what they're doing. Here's the thing I put to you that if, if, uh, you know, to go back to the keep, um, if Michael Mann had stuck to the source material a little bit closer, maybe he did the whole idea of Glaken locking Molossar up as opposed to killing him instead of actually solving the problem. He just like locked it away and ignored it. I mean, that's part of the big thing in the, in, in, in the novel is instead of actually taking care of business and doing what needed to be done, he just locked this thing away and just pretended it didn't exist. Uh, and I think that could be what, Arguably, that's what um, uh, Dusender or Ian McKellen's character is doing. Is uh, I don't know the psychology of the character because they don't dive into it enough. Um, but you know, there is historical evidence that there were collaborators, uh, you know, Nazis who actually could not deal with what they were actually doing. They could give orders, 
But, you know, Adolf Eichmann famously could not walk the concentration camps because the moment he saw what was actually going on, it would just be too much for him. So it's like, I think there is something there that, uh, there is this idea that there is something being repressed, whether it's uh, uh, pangs of conscience or, you know, guilt or whatever. And it's just, I don't, I, again, we're not given the opportunity to, to see enough of the character, whether or not he has this uh, this depth where he actually feels guilt for what he did. I'm inclined to say he doesn't because, again, he tries to murder a cat and then murders a homeless person. And, uh, you know, that final shot of him, uh, which is one of the things I actually truly think works about this movie, is when he is being um, given the, 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 the shock paddles, the E.T. shock paddles, and he's looking at the israeli agent and there's this slow zoom on his face and he looks like this is really obscure did you guys read generation x the comics when you were kids yeah he looks like uh plate the fucking weird thing with the mask on its face and the eyes he doesn't look he looks like dr satan from the fucking uh house of a thousand corpses so there's almost this look in his eyes of like you know you thought you fucking had me in the end, I'm going to die on my own terms. So I, I really don't think he has this guilt. I think it's more like out of like self-preservation. Like he's a fucking true believer. Like I, I, I think he was in the end a true believer in the, the cause of uh, Nazis. Because as you said, when Brad Renfro was doing the march, face right, face right, face right, stop. When he tells him to stop, not only does he speed up, he fucking shoots up the Sig Heil. So this is like ingrained in him. It's, it's, it's almost like programming that's being reactivated. And uh, But I, I think even saying programming is giving him too much credit because that's that's implied that it's like sort of like a yeah, Manchurian like, candidate thing. I think all I, I, I think these beliefs, he has them. He is a dyed in the wool Nazi. And this is all just it's 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 this kid being like, tell me about the fucked up shit you used to do and the fucked up shit you saw. I want to hear all the gushy parts. That's just enabling him to, to to feel these things again and to just throw off the yoke of of uh, of, you know, civilization, I guess. I but I and again, that's giving this movie too much credit. Well, I, I, was say, I, I agree with all that, but I, that's all I was going to say is that I think, well, I think what ends up happening in the film is that the film wants it to have its cake and eat it too in that it's un, it's unable to actually get at the root of what empowers fascism. And so really what we have here is, you know, a guy who participated in this truly calculated inhuman system, but then like is stoked to throw a cat in his oven. Like the the two are unrelated because what it, what it does is it allows us to say, well, he's a freakazoid. Is that a technical term? Yeah, he's a fucking he's he's got his he's getting his rocks off with this, you know, getting ready to stab this homeless guy. Um I don't think most Nazis were like, you know what, I just really need to stab somebody right now, like just to just to assuage that thing I got in me. No, I think I I think the only uh only person with any sort of like real mental illness was probably like Mengele. Everyone else was were just like maybe like psychopathic in the sense that they had like no empathy and they were just like power hungry. Well, and I think, but you were getting at the ideology thing. They, they, that partly what, I mean, no wrong. We here on hard business are not going to single-handedly solve what it was that empowered the Nazis. Like, but we'll never stop trying. Yeah. 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 But, but I do think there, I agree with the idea that in fascism, that, what you have is a overriding ideology that you buy into yeah. that then allows you to actually enjoy yourself. So the idea somehow 
the way that we talk about fascism, we talk about a lot of conservative right wing movements this way is that, you know, they're so organized and they're so smart. And they've really figured it out. And like what they're doing is evil, but they're so they're so on top of it. And like, actually, most of the time, the Nazis had no idea what the fuck they were doing. They just yeah. kept going. They just didn't stop. They were, OK, this isn't working, but we're just going to keep doing this. And, and it was, in fact, and I think you see this in other fascist movements, too. Being a part of that organized thing gives you the freedom to do whatever you want so that you're actually enjoying yourself. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, it was, I would say, the soul-crushing part for those communities seemed to be, A, the ways in which people denied what they know knew was true. Yeah. Or B, the way that um, the task was so immense that it got to the point where they were having to come up with the most insane innovations just to keep up with this ridiculous demand that like not only what they were doing was evil it was also irrational that they couldn't actually why if you actually weren't doing this thing you could maybe i don't know win the war you yeah, know that or send a rocket to the moon yeah you could have actually done all these other things that would be also serving your grand purpose of conquering the world but you're so focused on this fucking thing that it's besides the fact that it's like you know insidious it's also not good it, it, it is as bad for you you're destroying your own did you know? know that the reason that volkswagen has such good suspension systems is because they develop them to keep the fucking gas fans from tipping over when people would panic oh my God. that is that is mind-blowing that that is that i i can't even now, now I'm going back to like my history of the Holocaust classes in undergrad. So I'm getting all, fired up. All I want to say is we both are people who are interested in this topic, and I think we can both say that while I think there are really are very effective moments of this movie, it's so light for what it it can't it can't get at the darkness it wants to get at. No, like I said in this movie, the, the in, in this movie starring a Nazi, that Nazi is not the most unlikable character. Right. That's how like. Toothless, this movie is. Okay, I just want to pull back, and Ryan, I don't want to talk too much. I want to give you a chance to talk about this too. Can can we talk about Brad Renfro is bad, right? Like he's he's bad in this movie. Yeah, I, I've seen a few people say shit like, "I wonder what Brad Renfro would have done if he hadn't died," and I'm like, "Uh, mm, this ain't it." Like this he, is not the fucking he and not only that there's a sense in which um there's a sense in which in the novella and again it's been a long time since I've read it but the feeling is that he is motivated by something dark to con contact this guy and then it starts to haunt him and then that kind of sort of turns him which I think is problematic because it's it starts to almost make it like the experience of being a part of this thing is is sort of what turns you instead of the, the you know whatever it, it sort of takes away some of the agency which I think is important but in the film none of that works because Renfro is just a petulant child from scene one it's almost like he actually has learned nothing from this experience. He's a petulant child interested in the Holocaust. And then at the end, still a petulant child, slightly less interested in the Holocaust. And and the way that the movie ends with conflating Ian McKellen, who has now chosen to blow air into his own heart which is rather than face consequences for his actions, 
they're, they the movie draws a direct line between that and a kid who's mean to his guidance counselor, so he leaves him alone. And I'm sorry, those are not the same thing. They're not even vaguely comparable. In fact, I would argue that there's a number of people who would never be capable of murder, who were, would not even be capable of the sort of like self-defense murder we've already seen Renfro commit. Who could still be as mean as he is to 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 the dude from Friends, like David Schwimmer? I just think you see his face and you're like, I'm going to tell people you did something bad to me. How's that oh, feel? Schwimmer? David Schwimmer is the only pure person in this movie. No, I, I can't with that guy. Really? Oh yeah. I no, honestly, I, I honest, I honestly feel he's the only like only truly good person in this movie. Oh sure, I, his character sure, but David Schwimmer. Oh, yeah, no, fuck him in real you life. You just see his face and you just go, I'm going to say something real terrible to this yeah, guy. I got, I held no ill will towards him, but now I'm going to. I don't like them. <laughs> um, anyways, I just think that what the that the movie though again, you know, McKellen is delivering. He's del- it, this is a fully realized character because of Ian McKellen and what he does. It's not even on the script. It's just him acting makes me be like, okay, I see where this person is. Um, and you know, a bunch of the other side characters are doing okay. But Renfro is is Renfro even in this movie? It, it really feels like you're seeing Ian McKellen talk to. The, the guy he had just to read the lines back to him. Because Renfro just cannot emote it's, it's anything a, more than petulance. It's a, similar, it's a similar premise to uh, Joe Morton is in this movie. Joe Morton was also in a little movie you might have heard of called Terminator 2. In sure. which he also, the main character was a fucking child actor who couldn't act their way out of a paper bag. And thus kind of weighed the movie down more. Like, this is a movie where most people are delivering. Like, even um, Bruce Davidson... Brings his A game. And it's like you got Brad Renfro who's just in the middle of it all, like, yo, man, I'm not afraid of you. Like, if you tell, if you tell those, if you tell your family that I touched you, I'll just beat the shit out of you. And then you're going to go to jail anyway. So, like, what's it going to be? I I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Ryan, okay. Tell us a little bit here about how do you feel about Mr. Renfro, but also. Um, you know, I'm assuming you hadn't come back to this movie in a long time. Uh, yes, what, that's correct. What what kind of still worked for you about the movie, and what were you just like? I can't even believe I'm watching this right now. There's, well, to be honest, uh, there's not a lot that actually worked for me. Um, I think the most, um, probably the most effective part for me. Well, I guess it would. I guess it would be Ian McKellen's performance. Um, I know we touched on it earlier. The scene where he's—they're going through the orders with him and his. Well, not his, but the SS uh, outfit that Renfro brings to him. Um, I don't know. That's—it's chilling to watch, um, just because the way uh, McKellen delivers that performance. Um, it's I, I don't want to say um, mechanical in the sense that that in that in the way that that would uh, alleviate some kind of uh, responsibility or show some sort of guilt uh, or or a lack of culpability in what he's doing. But I mean, on the other hand, it's just it's frightening how. Um, into uh marching and being a nazi he is um and then there i think the the one and then the one story that 
he tells to uh, Brad Renfro about the the time that there was a gas leak in the chamber. Oh my God! Yeah, and he is he is going through and just saying, just telling him in graphic detail what happened. So he's just saying, "Oh yeah, we didn't know about the leak, so I just ordered more gas." Um, and yeah, yeah, they were still alive. And then they did this, and they did that. I mean, and it's it's so um, uh, detached and. Uh, Clinical is not the right word, but I guess it's the closest thing to, to what I'm trying to get at. It's it's like, I mean, it's like a sociopath is telling this story to Brad Renfro. He, he describes it in such a mundane way that it becomes like, it'd be like if I was telling Liam about like how I got like an oil change. Right. And it, and it took longer than, than it needed to be. Like that's what it sounded like. Right. And, it, it, and then he ends it with, it never ends. Because when Renfro is like, "Oh, I gotta go," uh, you can tell me the end later. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, it never ends." It's just, I mean, it's so cold. It's so uh, not emotionless, but um, I'm just a, a lack of hu- basic human empathy. Like, yeah, I, we killed these people. Like it's it, like it's just any routine thing that just went on on a day to day basis. Uh, yeah, I mean, really, other than those i don't how do i describe it uh those shining moments if you will yeah where ian mckellen kind is basically dragging this film uh to the finish line uh are i think worthwhile um they're effective uh they're chilling and it it kind of wakes you up from uh being bored because I'm I didn't even take notes on the film. I was so bored uh, five minutes in that I just sort of um, stopped. You know, I dispensed with the notes. I will I will say the movie looks very '90s. I like that the Coke can is it's 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 a it's a '90s depiction of 1984. The yeah, Coke, the Coke can is period appropriate. Oh sure 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 yeah. sure sure. But I just meant like I, I don't even mean like this. I mean okay, that dude's hair. Is is to me very nineties. Renfro's hair is very nineties in my brain, but no, I mean like um, it felt very nineties in the color of it. Like just seeing it, I was like, oh, this this movie. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. a certain like right. color palette. There's a certain film grain. There's a certain way. Even the way it's cut and everything, it's just like, oh, right, the night. Sure, yeah, okay, I know where we're at right now. But um, man, it so little happens. And I think it's meant to be. I mean, one of the biggest events in the film is our main character sees a Swazi graffitied in a storm drain. Which, by the way, if I'm ever in a storm drain or by a retaining wall, which you're to frequent, if I'm behind a supermarket again, I expect to see a Swazi. I just, I, if I'm anywhere where you're sick hiling right now, if I'm anywhere where I know there are a lot of whites here. And those whites uh, have access to ink and don't have enough money to think they're above this sort of thing. A Swazi will appear. That's just normal. So he's driving through a storm drain. He sees a Swazi. He falls off his bike. That's a major event in the film. That's not like a, well, we'll just throw that in for some color. That's like a huge plot point. Is like, he's so upset. 
by what he's heard. He sees a Swazi. He falls off his bike. <laughs> and I'm supposed to be like, and and at that point, talk about you know earlier, Ryan. You mentioned the violence things in in the Evil Dead. Now this is one of those moments where the music crescendos. There's those weird stickettos. It's like it's like. What what is even is 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 Batman gonna show up? I don't understand what's happening with this music right now. That like I'm supposed to be like, oh yeah, man, I can't believe you had to fall on some branches. Like this, this is getting hard for you, buddy. Uh, Hearing about the Holocaust. Yeah. Another uh, another kind of like weirdly problematic thing that I don't know if it's Brian Singer is this is the scene where um I keep wanting to say Dusseldorf. But it, obviously not that. Deucender, he gives uh, Todd whiskey. He's right. literally an old man giving a young man. Uh, this, this, this shit with Brian Singer is just like enough. And then he tells him at one point um, where he says like he tells him that he has the fucking shit in the safety deposit box. He's like, if anything happens to me. And like I wasn't quite clear. So I had to like rewatch it a few times. I'm like, so he just wrote a 12 page letter about how this kid knew he was a Nazi. Like if I was that kid, I'd be like, fucking prove it. Like, what do you, what do you, do you recordings of me? Like, why? You don't know anything. And then he says, like, Todd, Re- uh, Brad Renfro says, like, oh, I'm fucked. And then, uh, he says, get fucked. Get fucked. And then, uh, Ian McKellen says, well, it looks like we are fucking each other. And, like, I had to pause it and be like, there, there's no way he actually said that. I, like, I misheard that. Rewind. I was like, no, he, uh, he actually said that. And it, it's, to be fair, okay, so I, I, uh, I think some of that, some of that sort of stuff is in the novella. You know, there's a line in the novella that's like that, but I, I think it's not that. I think it's more. He says, like he's imagining telling his friends about what happened, and he's like, yeah, you know, I met this war criminal, and I really had him by the balls, but turns out he had me by the balls, and I, I think it's like still weird. It's no, no, no. That's what I'm saying. So I think some of that. I kind of said earlier that I don't think that homoeroticism is in the book. I think it is in the book, actually. I think what's weird about the movie is that um, there's also the way that they do it is is weird. It's it's you know that sort of line is like why I don't know I don't know. There's something it's about the it. subdom shit that like makes my skin right, crawl right. because whatever. Uh, few years back. I was dating a girl. Her and I were both into that. And we would have these like subtle things where we'd be at the supermarket and depending on who was who that day, ask permission to go to like, may I go down this aisle? And it's like the weird little power play things. And they're subtle things, but it's also like exciting. And I was watching this movie and I was like, it, like I'm right, even right now, I'm like, ugh. That scene where he's making a march, I'm like, that's the way me and Name Omitted used to act. Yeah, well, there's a, there's creepy. there's a way in which uh, he's not the old man Nazi's not satisfying. So he when he puts him in the outfit and he has him marching around, he's turning him into his object of desire. Even if that desire is not explicitly sexual for him, it might be uh, it, it might be like he wants to see him as this embodiment of masculinity. You know, Ian McKellen was just rock hard when they were shooting that scene. Stop! <laughs> stop! Um, it's we've been saying a lot of negative stuff about this movie. Um, before we wrap up, I do want to talk about a scene that I thought was very effective. Um, I have long been of the opinion that one of the scariest things visually that you can see is the expression of someone in 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 in, in abject terror. Uh, the expression 
of someone's face when they're afraid, um, if it's if they're selling it well enough and it's truthful enough, it can infect you with that same feeling. Uh, case in point, the episode of the the haunting of Hill House where Katie Seagal is in the basement seeing the um, I forget the name of the character. She's like she's a child therapist and she has a child patient who's saying like that there's this Mr. Smiley who lives in the basement and is like making her do things she doesn't want to do. And there's a scene where her character goes downstairs and is laying on this couch and experiencing what this little girl experienced. And uh, Siegel or Seagal, I don't have to pronounce her last name. She sells it so well that she has this look of fucking mortal fear on her face. And it is so unsettling. Um, there's a scene in this movie when um, Ian McKellen has a heart attack. He's in the hospital and Brad Renfro goes and talks to him and he's in his hospital room and he's just like, I, I graduated today. Like this happened, blah, 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 like whatever. And you know, uh, whatever, like uh, I know you'd be proud of me. And Ian McKellen drifts off, drifts off. <laughs> Ian McKellen jerks off. <laughs> and as he's walking out of the room, the the man, the patient that he shares a room with is like, how nice of you to visit your grandfather. And he's like, oh, he's, yeah, he takes care of me. He's like, you're such a good boy, and blah, blah. And he's like talking about him and everything like that. And you think he's just this old man who's uh, sharing a room with him. And then the old guy's like watching TV and you're like, what are they doing here? And then like the guy starts to drift off and all of a sudden his eyes like shoot open and he like, in this, this is the one scene where the music is actually really effective. And this like weird stiletto violin starts playing and the guy like looks over and he starts losing his fucking mind and he like crawls out of bed and then you see on his arm um he has the numbers tattooed like this guy was a holocaust survivor and then he like drags himself out in the hallway and he's like screaming and crying and he's like and it's like it, i was watching it last night and i was like man this movie is like really boring and then that part happened and i was like where the fuck did this come from like this is this is so powerful on so many levels because it's like heartbreaking and it's it's really scary because the look on this guy's face he looks like someone is trying to kill him. Like the actor who played him, he's talking about how this man like killed his entire family. And he is, you believe it. You, it, it's a hundred percent. You're fucking buying what this guy's selling. But that is the one element that I, I, I honestly think that scene puts this movie into like tangible horror territory. Like not the existential horror that is, you know, fascism, but that scene, that scene right there where we're seeing a person in utter and complete terror makes this a horror film. It's 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 so goddamn unsettling, and it stands in such stark contrast to the rest of the movie. I think that's the one scene that that scene really highlights the the actual like unspeakable monstrosity that was the Holocaust. Is that scene alone really gets across what the rest of the movie uh, nearly completely fails to do? Uh, you guys have anything else to say about this movie? No, I'm hitting a wall, man. I'm ready to be. All right. Let's move on from apt pupil. Okay. Anything you guys, so uh, I guess that's it for this episode. Um, Ryan, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry I made you watch it, but. Uh, it makes me so. Ha- I'm, no, I'm glad no, I did. No, we're going to. I mean, eventually we'll watch all the movies. So. <laughs> yeah. It's just another one off the list. Not the worst movie I've seen because of the show. Uh, that's very true, actually. <laughs> So is there like anything if, if people want to like follow you in like social media or any, anything you want to plug anything you got going on? No, not really. I don't really have much going on. I'm not very good at uh, Twitter. I don't use Instagram, but uh, I yeah, I think I think y'all y'all have tweeted me out. So uh, my Twitter handle is uh, somewhere out there. Um, if you want, yeah. if you want to find it, it's uh, at the giant be with you. 
And that's uh, a U, the letter U, not Y-O-U. All right. Well, thank you so much. I know I sound like a broken record, but I, I really appreciate you coming on here, and I appreciate the support you've given us. It, it really means the world that, you know, what you do, it's it, it means a lot. So thank you. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. Glad to yeah. come on. Maybe, you know, do it again. Maybe watch uh, some better films. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, if you guys want to hear more episodes of this show or some of our other great shows, you can go to www.cinepunks.com. Um we just added a new podcast to our family, Fat Girl Hacks. You should go check it out. It's not media-based, so it's not about movies or books or anything like that. They do end up talking about pop culture, but it's just not the point. Yeah, yeah. Means. So you should go check that out. Um, if you check us out on iTunes, just remember to rate, review, subscribe, and to fucking download it. We cannot stress that enough. Download, download, download. Um, if you want to check us out on Patreon, we're at patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. If you want to throw some of your hard-earned cash our way, and uh, I guess, I mean, you don't have to, but you should. Go check out XLVACX. Uh, Chris Rejects is doing something in, in next month. The Let's Hang Out Holiday Edition. If you like pro wrestling, if you like the sport of kings, it'll be a good time. Um, and uh, until next time, never forget that Steven Spielberg sucked E.T.'s dick. <laughs> <laughs> Peace. All right, Josh, we got to do this ad. We got to come up with something. What do we want people to know about Cinepunks? I don't know, man. I feel like they should know everything about Cinepunks. <sighs> All right. We're underachieving overachievers convinced that we know a thing or two about movies. Romance and adventure by the light of the silver screen. Is non judgmental movie criticism a thing? Not really, but we love you anyway. We love cinema, whether it's high art or low trash. Cinepunks, we're elitists, but only about real nerd shit. Liam and Josh, we have two microphones and the truth.